This Slate spoiler special is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code SPOILERS. Hello, I'm David Haglund, and this is a Slate spoiler special for the second season of House of Cards. I'm joined by Slate culture critic June Thomas. Hello, June. Hey, David. And by Slate's television critic, Willa Paskin. Hi, Willa. Hi. We're going to be discussing the Netflix series that stars Kevin Spacey, Robin Wright, and several other people. (laughs) And we're going to be spoiling everything that happens in the second season. So obviously you don't want to listen to this until you've caught up. Uh, Before we get into all of the spoiling, though, I thought we could just, in spoiler special fashion, find out what each of us thought of the second season. Briefly, June. (laughs) It can be very brief because even though, like, I'm kind of puzzled by this show because even though I remember basically nothing about it and I it it kind of went right over my head I could very I was very very happy to keep pressing next I mean okay yeah it was a three-day weekend and it was kind of snowy out but there was also the Olympics on it wasn't like I had nothing else to do and yet I just kept pressing next episode and I was done by 8 30 on Saturday (laughs) and it but it was it's odd because like sometimes you read a book and you just think oh that was good or whatever and then sometimes you think how did they do that? How did they make that so addictive? And I kind of had that feeling with the show. I didn't really particularly care about anything that happened, but I did want to figure out how they kept me hitting next. Well, maybe we'll figure that out. Maybe. Willa, what did you think? Well, <laughs> I uh, I watched the first four ahead of time because I had to write a review about it, and that's the number that they sent out. And I breezed right through them. I thought I cared. I was interested. I didn't. I thought I didn't even miss sort of the character that... Is the big spoiler we're going to talk about in a minute. But then I took a pause between four and the next, I guess, eight. And I never wanted to start ever again. I was just like, this is so boring. I can't believe I have to do this to myself. It really, I had to really like chain myself to the couch for episode five. And then, you know, it starts again. And again, you know, I watched it. It didn't hurt me. Yeah. I didn't love it. Right. It is It is a little bit like, oh, it's just like junk food or anything. You will just keep eating it. You know, where the rats were pushing at the sugar tab. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I'm more with you probably, Willa. This time around, I was less hooked than I, I was the first time when I really did just, you know, keep press and finished it, you know, within 24 hours yeah, or whatever, yeah. as you did. This time around, it felt like a little bit more of a chore. I wanted to get through it. I knew we were going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was watching with my girlfriend and she was game to keep watching but if it was up entirely to me I might not have finished. Yeah I found the first season I had a really good time watching the first season I did it in two days and I thought Jesus I have a really great job <laughs> you know this is what I have to do and this time I thought oh my job is so hard. Oh my goodness <laughs> no, I didn't I think that. Alright well let's try to figure out why, why that was. So the big spoiler in the in the uh, first episode is that Zoe Barnes dies. R.I.P. Zoe. I missed you a lot. (laughs) But except that I didn't really. So when we start, (laughs) Frank Underwood is is already the vice president, right, when the second season starts. He may not have been sworn in right at the beginning, but he's already, like, he's about to be. He's about to be. And it was his path to that uh, position that kind of occupied season one. He had previously been a congressman. He's from Georgia? South South Carolina. South Carolina. Shoot. Southern Democrat. (laughs) Uh, And um, the politics, uh, I mean, his own politics are not really that important. He has no sure. politics yeah. except power. Yeah. Right. So now he's the vice president, and we all know that he has his eye on the presidency. And it's just, it was clear from the first season that that's where this was all 
pretending. Um, but Zoe is writing this expose, so he has to push her in front of a subway. Well, car. the thing is, you know, she's trying to write this expose, and she doesn't really have the information. She she has the she she's onto something, and he knows she's more right almost than she does. And the two people that she's working with, they have no smoking gun, and so he does throw her in front of the subway. But it did feel like a little premature. Not a Frank, just to become a total murderer. And also for the show. I mean, this was the thing. When I watched the first four, I, you know, he kills Zoe in this ridiculous, wearing a ridiculous hat, ridiculous glasses. Seems like he should get caught pretty easily. Whatever. Doesn't. Not a problem for him. <laughs> um, and I didn't miss her because, you know, basically she passes the baton on to Lucas, her boyfriend she would never have been dating to continue to do, you know, to research Frank. And and so and then they introduce another sort of um, badass woman right away. But then when I took that break, when I thought about coming back to the show, I really missed Zoe. I just missed someone so ridiculous, as ridiculous as Frank, who felt like a good balance, like a possible, like a real possible threat. I mean, to me, what this season was really missing was there is no credible threat to him. Right. The show doesn't even believe it. He's just, you know, everything he, he creates, these situations that he then gets himself out of. And even if he seems a little stressed out at various times, there's really no, there's nothing getting in the way of him becoming president. Or you almost feel like maybe the biggest threat to him is his mania for getting rid of threats to him. Because, you know, in this world of House of Cards, I mean, the real world, let's just take a moment to say the real world, everybody is either a jerk or a boob. In this world of House of Cards, everyone except Frank is a boob and he's a jerk and everyone else is a boob. Like no one else has any ability to to tussle with him. And so it all gets a little bit. eh. I mean, and it also felt like there just weren't that this time around. There weren't any other great characters. There were other characters, but they weren't particularly good. Like last time around, we had. Representative Russo, played by Corey Stoll, who was awesome and troubled, and and you know you, I felt, I felt for him. And this time, I didn't care about anybody right. really. Frank killed the two other most interesting yeah, exactly. characters on his show, except maybe his wife. And yeah, and I, I think uh, Molly Parker, the actress who mm. plays um, Jackie, yeah, Jackie Sharp, Dickens, like the Dickens name, <laughs> yeah, Jackie Sharp, and uh, she she does a good job. And that character has her moments, but she is is so completely another Frank mm-hmm. um, so quickly when she sells out. So she, you know, she sells out the the older senator, I think he is, mm-hmm. um, as a way of, of becoming whip and setting herself up to have more power. And before we see that happen, she's she seems, you know, like maybe she's not a horrible person. She, she served her country. She was in the... The armed forces. That's right. Where I mean, she droned a lot of people. This is <laughs> this is Homeland and House of Cards. Completely <laughs> obsessed with. Yeah, and maybe maybe I was more inclined to to sympathy with her because I still think of her as Rabbi Ari. But I I you know I was I was not su- surprised when she sold him out. But from that point on, it was clear. Okay, she's another power hungry person. But I will say, in the end, so so much tor- more towards the end of the season, she's um, we're going to get into the Robin Wright rape storyline, I hope. I hope this is our jumping off point to that. But before, you know, uh, there's this bill that that Claire Underwood has sort of been pushing to sort of uh, criminalize more aggressively um, assault in the army. And Jackie is against this bill because she's been in the armed services. And at that moment in the show, she seems to take an ethical stand because she believes that the bill shouldn't pass. And it works. And so much of that show, to me, there's all these moments where 
you know, Frank or someone spins a scenario to someone, says this is what's going to happen, that we know at home, why is that what's going to happen? Why are the Democrats going to be entirely blamed if you, you know, if the government gets stopped? Why are they going to, you're going to lose another election if he gets impeached? Just all of these what ifs that everyone just buys 100% completely. And you sort of just wish someone would say, no, you know, I'm going to roll the dice. Let's see. And he wouldn't always get his way. But everybody always jumps to his, agrees with his conclusion. And then you see the, you know, and then occasionally when they don't, he's totally jammed up because they didn't do exactly what he wanted them to do. And and that just seems like a really simple thing mm-hmm. to complicate his, his t- the show could do to kind of complicate his story every so often is just have someone say, like, I call your bluff of saying you're going to do this horrible thing. Like, I don't care. Do it. Right. And it's funny, too, that sometimes they mention real politicians um, but they tend to be very much from the past, like Lyndon Johnson, for example. They don't mention Clinton where you just think... Outrageous. You know, might we just make... You know, may, Since we're talking about impeachment, maybe we might just want to refer to a pretty recent president who's still involved in politics, who had a similar... Thing Wasn't there a, 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 campa- a campaign finance scandal involving money from China that involved <laughs> yes. Al Gore? That was yes. the other, you know, yes. eventually we get this whole China plot, which we, we should discuss. Well, also, I mean, this is the thing about the China plot is that the idea that everyone in America is completely horrified by this China plot. It takes down the mm-hmm. government. Meanwhile, ushering into power uh, a, like a congressman who has never voted for, has never become vice president, whose wife we know is an abortionist and like... <laughs> And an, an adulteress. And no one says a peep about... I mean, there's people... No one no yeah. one is really upset that he's become president. It's like what the, th- the show thinks Americans care about is to, so laughable. To be fair, Claire Underwood never performed abortion. Sorry. So, so that we know technically... of. That we know of. <laughs> yes, that's right. But so let's talk about that, actually, because yeah. that that's, I think, an odd storyline for this show, in part because it doesn't seem purely strategic. Right. You know, when she brings it up. So what happens is she runs into this this uh, um, was he a general? Mm-hmm. I mean, this high ranking officer who she went to college with and they dated and he raped her. And she's seen him for the first time in years, I think, since then. Mm-hmm. And and Frank has to pin his new medal on him or whatever. And she is so I think that what we're supposed to gather is that she is so angry at him that she decides to take this live televised interview she has coming up. As an opportunity well, to say, this man raped me. You see, don't see it that I, way? I thought there was a complicated things going on. So there, there's this incident. She sees him, and it's obviously extremely traumatic for her. And Gen- genuinely so. Genuinely traumatic. Right. Like, she, it's she genuinely horrible. Tears, right, right. And, and it's it's a movie. And then she's doing this interview. This is in episode four. And basically, she gets asked if she's ever had an abortion, and she doesn't lie about it. And we know that she's had three, and none of them were from when he raped her. Right. So then she goes upstairs and has this sort of like tete-a-tete with her PR guy, this adorable PR guy who it seemed like she was going to sleep with, but then it ends up being just like another random right. person who was on the show that exactly. they just get rid of. Um, and who's actually Joan's husband. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He's also a rapist. <laughs> so, all right. She goes upstairs and has a conversation with a rapist on another TV show. <laughs> and he tells her basically, you have to sort of salvage this. So she goes downstairs and says that the time she had the abortion is from when she was raped by this general, which is not, I don't think, true, no. which is, is no. not true. And and so then she introduces the rape kind of to rescue this yeah. this abortion story, at which point someone calls in and says, he raped me too, and then off to the races with the rest of these stories. I mean, so that's obviously really interesting, and, and the guy is, is a rapist, and he should lose his job, and Claire's on the side of right about that. But the way she wandered into it, I didn't think was some sort of like, she was, un, you know, she was so 
mentally torn up that she made a misstep. You know, she was correcting. That's a good point. Right. I mean, I, the other um, sort of moment of sincere emotion that I, that was strange to me that is al- also involves Claire in this and this story, I think, mm-hmm. is at the end. Mm-hmm. So she ends up compromising. She introduces this legislation The the young woman who also calls in is, is in the military and says she's not the only one who has been raped by this general. And then they, they push this legislation. They get the first lady on board. And as you mentioned, Jackie Sharp is is against it. And she and Claire ultimately compromises with Jackie to introduce kind of what, what I think we're supposed to understand as a pretty toothless mm-hmm. set of reforms, thus really upsetting this young woman who came out and, you know, um, you know, as a victim and yeah. described what she'd been through. Yeah. And Claire... Near the very end of the show, Claire breaks down in a staircase alone and cries. After also talking to the president's wife exactly. and realizing she's a terrible person. Yeah, which yeah. is an odd. I mean, <laughs> my understanding of these characters of, of Frank and Claire was always, I mean, it's Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. They're both terrible. We don't expect or even, I think, want them to be anything other than terrible on some level. Well, I didn't mind that she cried. I mean, she's really did bad. <laughs> and she then she, and is that the scene before or after she goes and yells at Frank where she's like you better rip your heart out and give it to him in his hand. And then and then Frank writes a resignation letter to the president that the president conveniently doesn't use. Dumbest president in the whole <laughs> world. I mean, big time. So in so many so many ways. But but I I thought I mean, this is the thing. Are they cartoons or are they not? You know, every scene that Frank has in the show, so much of the, like, the voiceover stuff, it's like, I do declare. You know, it's very, <laughs> I say, that, I say. you know, and it's like very. So so there's that version of them. And, and that's a fun show. You know, but if we're really supposed to get invested in them as kind of people that actually have interesting psyches and not just caricatures mm-hmm. caricatures of psyches. I, I appreciate the sort of weird moments of humanity where at least Claire can be like, oh, I'm being a terrible person to this woman who's actually these two women, in fact, who have been nothing but trustful and nice to me. Right. See, I guess I think maybe the show doesn't know what it wants to be because I think that it's at its best, which is not, you know, the <laughs> wire level great. It's just... You know, it's at its most... There's major eye-rolling going on right now. (laughs) The very suggestion of that. Yeah. It's at its most entertaining, I think, as a chess game, right? Uh, You know, here are these two purely Machiavellian Machiavellian characters who are plotting out steps that you try to see with them, and you try to understand why they're doing what they're doing and how it's going to unfold. And when that is sort of both complicated and clear enough at the same time, it can be quite fun to watch. At least that's my See, to experience. me, though, that's the biggest disappointment with the show and the reason that I can only take it on that caricature level because those Machiavellian, uh, you know, puppeteering never feel convincing. That's when everybody else is an idiot. You know, he's the only person who sees these. And, and of course, Frank does talk to us, you know, through the fourth wall or whatever and and you know you you sort of think okay he's going to tell me something i don't know and he doesn't really tell me anything and then things just work out and that that to me is ultimately the biggest lack of satisfaction but it was it's interesting to me how things changed between season one and season two um which maybe this might be a good time to bring up because it felt to me like there there was the relationship between frank and claire was very different 
in this season than in the first one, partly because neither of them was having an affair. I don't think. I would just ask, they still don't have sex unless there's someone else, unless there's right. poor Meacham to have sex with right. them too. It, it also, Meacham's so smart, so much smarter than he seemed for knowing that he had to be hot for Frank and not just Claire. It was such a canny moment for him in a way yeah. I wasn't. Maybe he'll take a bigger role in season three. <laughs> yeah. I have to admit I did not see the threesome coming. Oh, I did. Okay. I mean, I <laughs> Um, well, I will confess that at some point I got so bored that I just started <laughs> fast forwarding to all the sex scenes because, like, <laughs> that, that wouldn't take very. I mean, I know, <laughs> so but it didn't take very long. I went back and then I was like, "Oh, crazy! That happens." And then they really, I mean, they foreshadowed it very well. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then they don't show any more of it, and they don't develop it further. Maybe no. Meechum will become a bigger character in season three right. or something. Wait, but so why are we talking? We were talking well, about how there's season one and season oh, right, two because now it feels. I mean. In the in the first season, yes, it was Lady Macbeth and Macbeth, but at the same time, they were each screwing other people for their Machiavellian reasons on his part, but probably not with her. It seemed for a while she was really thinking about going off with Adam, the photographer, which again, you know, she was so public with that. The fact, the idea that in this season there could there could possibly have been some like big revelation when she essentially had been squiring around town with him. But anyway. Um, this time around, she, you know, she sells her former bit on the side down the river, and it feels like their relationship is this beautiful, yes, okay, completely evil, but also absolutely committed relationship to each other. Right. They are, I mean, they are, an, they love each other and are loyal to each other in this way that I think we're supposed to think, and I almost did find sort of lovely and sweet, yeah, like yeah. these two monsters yeah. really can they totally can trust each other. Right. And they will, they will, you know, sell, sell other people down the river in order to help each other. Although I will say today, I did just go on Wikipedia to look up what happens in the British House of Cards because I actually did think that the Kate Mara thing, killing her in the first episode, so she, that character in the original British version dies. She dies in the finale of the first right. show. And I, I, thought the sh- I thought this version of House of Cards, Bo Willimons, was canny because pushing it off made me think, oh, maybe they're going to do something different. And and the fact that they didn't do something different ultimately, I mean, they did a good job making right. it a surprise, I right. thought was really problematic because we really could have used Zoe just yes. as a credible threat through most of the season. I mean, he could have killed her. Well, I guess that's what I was trying to get at of, of some of the things that I didn't understand this season because it was kind of good. I, I agree with you about how it worked out to use Zoe that way. And it was kind of good that they kept... They they kept the story. We didn't have the thing that happens with typical TV shows where, you know, if somebody didn't sign on for the next season, they don't show up. They just get killed or, you know, reassigned off screen. It felt like a lot of the characters like made an, made an appearance only to be just kind of shuttled off again. But at least it was kind of explained why we weren't seeing them. But I, I felt I found that more problematic than not like the woman who was her big was Claire's big you know she was having a total fight with her at the end of in last season she was going to like kill her unborn child and then she she comes in for one scene and and Claire says I will kill your unborn child oh could you just take over my it felt you know why it felt like the first episode was really the finale and they just wrapped up a huge number of loose ends and then sort of started you know it was like Claire wanted to get pregnant she wanted she was and then they just they just Acts those things. That's yeah. a, that's a really good point because it was it was very confusing to me. Actually, less the Zoe Barnes death than what was going on with Claire. That she was wrapping up her her job at the at the nonprofit that she leaves, and I guess realizing that she couldn't get pregnant. 
I always thought that was going to come back because it had been right. set up in <laughs> right, the first right. episode, but it never does. Wait, I just want to circle back to one yes. thing, which is that in the British series, it ends with Frank Francis. This is a, a this spoiler, is spoiler bonus. So we're spoiling both <laughs> the British This is a really version. interesting way to think about where the show is going. Um, he becomes prime minister. He's been prime minister for – he's about to be prime minister for longer than anyone – than Margaret Thatcher, which, you know, Frank – becomes president now he's going to get to run for two more terms which will put him pretty mm-hmm. close to FDR and he dies because his wife hires a sniper to kill him to rescue his legacy because basically he's about to try to become like a dictator and never get voted out <laughs> so become House of Cards season 3 ends with Claire killing Frank I mean that's <laughs> kind of great and that is, and that almost you could see it going there but I do also I mean I hope they do something new I, uh, I bet Meacham will help her Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take yes. a break for uh, a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back in a second. This episode of the Slate Spoiler Special is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code SPOILERS. Squarespace is constantly improving their platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and all the style options you need to create a unique website for you or your business. It starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SPOILERS to get 10% off and to show your support for this podcast. We thank Squarespace for their support. All right, let's get back to House of Cards. Well, I want to get to some aspects of the plot that we haven't really discussed yet because there is a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, for instance... uh, you know, there is a journalism story, although it's relatively brief and confusing. Um, it becomes a hacking story because Zoe's old boss slash boyfriend, you know, he is convinced correctly that Frank killed his girlfriend and he wants to prove it. So he, he goes onto the deep web. Tor. Tor. <laughs> and, and sends an email, if I remember, who types out, you know, need to hack vice president's phone records. I believe was the subject heading, not even in the body of the email, mm-hmm. which, you know, gets him into a little trouble uh, because the government wises up to it and they then have this well, um, it's guinea what... pig loving, <laughs> you know, who, by the way, played the exact same part in White House Down, like literally played a hacker who brings down the whole government while like dancing to, you know, Mozart in a control room in the White House. I mean, <laughs> that man has been typecast. also have a large varmint. It's basically <laughs> basically it's it's very similar. Yeah. That, I mean, it, it, it looked, I mean, really kind of archetypical Hollywood yeah. computer bad guy. Also, it just, it was Although a kind of degree of complication that doesn't make sense. Right. Like, I'm happy for you guys to do stories about the deep web or whatever that I guess sort of gesture at the NSA stuff, which is sort of where that story ends up going ultimately. But it was a lot of show for not a lot of payoff just to basically put one of the only people who knows Frank is a bad guy in jail in episode four for the rest of the season. Right. Yeah, I mean, that to me is like this one big problem with this show that these characters who you kind of like, like I like that guy, you know, the Jimmy Simpson character. I'm interested in him. I want to see him, you know, make that guinea pig, make that funny noise. But you have this feeling that... He's just there because they signed him and they don't really have anything for him to do. Although I do like the idea of the deep web just being full of people who are actually being set up by 
various intelligence like agencies. Like every single person just works for yeah. the FBI. Right. <laughs> or, or, there are other people, or other countries' intelligence services. Like there's nothing actually going on there. It's just all people being set up. It just stings up. to sell yeah, legal stings things. To stings. Yeah, I mean, in general, I, thought, I guess the writing on this season seems sloppier than the writing in the first Very season. Funny. There were aspects of the first season I didn't enjoy, like... You know, Claire's whole affair just was boring to me. Yeah. But but the season felt neater. This time it made sense, I thought, in theory, for them to bring in this kind of Snowden-esque storyline, this kind of WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, whatever it is. I mean, that that's that's a, uh, an aspect of the headlines that, you know, could usefully be ripped for the show. And yet it just doesn't – they don't pull it off very well. No, it would have been good, but it never – they just didn't do anything with it. They They – like you say, they gestured to it, but they didn't fill it in. And then also, you know, so this hacker guy, at the end, we find out that he apparently has hacked AT&T's system and has everybody's, has Doug Stampers and presumably everybody else's emails and phone records. And in total, sort of the way that this show is, which is to sort of act as though Frank is this genius, but then to kind of protect him at every turn from anyone else's intelligence, Mm -hmm. is that this man basically goes to Doug and is like, protect me, instead of just doing something like releasing everybody's phone records or, you know, trying to help Lucas or or anything. Or getting himself out of his trouble. You know, just by, by... dumping all this information somewhere. It's like there's always some sort of fail-safe where the people behave in a way that Frank is always going to have, like, one more chance to make a smart move. And, and you know, if he's really good, he should be able to deal with, with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I did... We were going to talk about, about Sad Doug. Sad Doug. I love Sad Doug. You know, because, like, Meacham is more beloved, and even though he's more loyal to Frank, and he he's an alcoholic, and he... And he he falls for this former prostitute who I really... I, who he I'm, is imprisoning. I just would like <laughs> yeah. to point that yeah. out. Yeah. It's and a complicated love. It's a complicated <laughs> love, yeah. But, like, I was glad to have Rachel there because, again, there was a tiny bit of titillation with and her. She's, and she's a girl. The show yeah, exactly. For, for sure. Who, like, seemed like basically a good person who was trying to kind of, you know, make good and kind of turn her life around. And, and, and yet... I just didn't see why she was there. They, because there's there are no, you know, previously ons in a very in a way that seems like they're just doing that to mess with us. Like I didn't remember why what what, is, what her threat was. Well, well, the thing is also it's crazy. She's not even really a threat because yeah. she was the person who was arrested with Peter Russo in the car, right? So she knows that Frank bailed Peter Russo out of jail. But the truth is that's nothing, right? Because at this point, Peter Russo, there's no proof that Frank killed him at all. Mm-hmm. That is such like so far back in the conspiracy at this point that mm-hmm. even if you knew the information, you would just be like, oh, he, the vice president and the president, you know, intervened to help this junior congressman. There's no intimation that it's, it leads to any of the other things. So, right. I mean, I feel like we had her on the show and then, you know, she she basically kills Doug. I mean, right. he seems like he's dead. He hasn't shown up for weeks yep. and, and runs off. And we're supposed to think, oh, there's a piece of information out there that these journalists want that might hurt Frank. But to me, I'm not even sure at this point how it hurts Frank at all. It's just another illusory detail, which doesn't matter at all, because obviously Frank's only going to be brought down, brought down by himself if then. Well, and for me, the frustrating thing about the Doug and Rachel's storyline was that it didn't tie into the larger storyline of Frank becoming president. And you spent a lot of time with sort of Doug's weird, creepy fixation with her and, you know, and her burgeoning 
uh, romance, <laughs> burgeoning lesbian romance with this Christian, right. which, you know, I mean, this show tests the, you know, plausibility in so many ways. So right. the fact that she would, you know, meet this evangelical who then, you It'd know. It'd be pretty and, cool, chill, like <laughs> ex-meth head, but really sweet. Like, whatever. Well, the buzz. <laughs> Torrid sex affair as well. But, you know, um, I. I I just felt the you know the problem with it wasn't plausibility so much as just that it it didn't tie in it just right. just felt right. like a dis- well, there distraction. Was, there was I think a really big sort of structural problem with the plot this season, which was essentially we had set up early on. It was like this war between Tusk and Underwood, with both of them, you know, willing to cause undue damage to themselves out of pride, which is sort of. Um, not in keeping with either of their I'm a businessman, I'm a pragmatist strategy. But so there ended up being these huge amount of proxy wars with all these other characters where it was like Frank wanted them to do something and then Remy and Tusk wanted them to do something else and they would fight over this person's like consciousness. You know, it would be like Adam. It happened a number of times. And it wasn't clean ever. And it didn't always make a ton of sense. And you did end up getting the feeling that the person involved – would have just been so overwhelmed by these insane people running through their lives making these demands that they would have just, like, gone to the press and been like, they're all yelling at me, you know? Uh, the, and that that really, the like, the Zoe and Frank of last season are just some of the more direct confrontations. There's a reason they're direct confrontations. I mean, it should have been, it could have been Frank versus the president the whole season, and that would have been a lot clearer, at least. You know, make the president choose Tusk and see if Frank can get them out anyway. Right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that that point about the lack of an antagonist rings very true to me that without a Zoe figure, without somebody who kind of consistently is a threat, that there's a lack of dramatic tension in too many of the episodes. I mean, it really sags in the middle, I think in particular. Um, But I I wanted to raise, you know, one other sort of separate question that might bring in some of these um, sort of storylines as well, which is what do we even expect from this show? (laughs) Because there seems to be some, confusion or debate or, you know, the expectations are, are are sort of all over the place. I think because of Kevin Spacey and David Fincher when it started, there is a sense, and because of the way it's shot as well, there's a sense that, oh, this is a prestige drama. And because of it's, it's a set in DC, I mean, it's set in the most serious office in the land, yes, dealing with so, ostensibly serious subjects. I mean, I don't know if it does But so is Scandal. And Scandal seems like the most, actually the most yeah. obvious point of comparison 100%. at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but Scandal is, is so upfront about its kind of soapiness and its silliness that, you know, people seem to, to love it in a way that in terms of what I'm seeing online, both in reviews and just in, in comments on Twitter and things, people don't seem to, to love this show, or at least its second season, as much as they love Scandal, in part because they feel like, oh, it's not as good as it thinks it is. Well, there's a funny... It's, there, I have two responses to that. The first is, yes, it's so affected by Scandal, that's undeniable. At the same time, it's like the anti-Scandal, or they're, they're opposite shows just in, just in the way that, for example, the way that Scandal is so about the live experience, the live tweeting, whereas, you know, because Netflix releases everything at once, it's almost impossible to have a shared experience with it. And then the other thing is that because Scandal is proudly a broadcast show, it has to do all of the things. It has to have act-outs. It has to have cliffhangers. And House of Cards and, and previously ons and all of those, you know, the architecture of television that we're so used to, that it felt like House of Cards was just denying us for the sake of it. But I actually think, see, this is, I agree a little, I agree that Scandal is kind of the, the angel on its shoulder, I yeah, would say. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, I actually think that there some of the reception about House of Cards is about how 
excellent Netflix has been at branding itself. I mean, which is that Netflix has been like, this is a different kind of experience. Mm -hmm. We're not going to do previously owns. We don't have to Mm -hmm. do cliffhangers. Meanwhile, the most ludicrous shit is happening. Sorry, (laughs) the ludicrous stuff is happening. It's totally as... I mean, it's it's completely out there. You could imagine so much of this actually on a network show. I mean, you could t- yeah. cut out a lot of this totally extraneous. I mean, there was not very much sex in nope. the season. You not know, there's curse. You know, it's you could cut it all out. And it's just the idea they have really primed the pump for where prestige and that this experience of binging somehow is a mark of quality, even though it's very obvious it's that opposite. binging is just a mark of couch potatoing or or being on. You know, it's being on. I mean, we've all binged great shows. But you can binge not great shows. It's like anything. You can watch anything any way you want. I agree 100%. I was listening to, um, well, to be specific, This Week in Tech on Sunday. And all of these people were talking about how great it was. And I thought, are you saying that because it's on Netflix? Because you don't have to have a cable subscription to watch it? Because I, I just, I really wanted to know why they were so full of praise for it because I just couldn't believe it was because of the show. Or if it was, they clearly don't watch anything else. And that's kind of interesting in in and of itself because it hasn't gotten good reviews because, like, why would anybody give it a good review? Well, Slate ran a piece a, w- a while back, I wish I could remember the author, but about um, someone who teaches college classes who said that her students... I'll have Netflix and nothing else. Yeah. yeah, And that so their world of TV was if it was on Netflix, they had seen it. And if it wasn't, they had not. And it is a, a mark of, you know, the the company's triumph in a way that that is true. And also that the excitement for yes. for this show. I mean, I wrote a, a you know, slightly tongue in cheek post about how they really should have released it a day earlier because we were all snowed in. But I'm, you know, I was having fun with it, but I was, you know, semi-serious. I mean, I was really happy to get watching. And it seemed, I saw a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and last time, I remember there was some confusion. What was their first one? Right. That's right. And there was some confusion about this. This is weird that they're putting it all out at once. Yeah. You know, how are we supposed to watch I, that? I, I think that that model has sort of won out. I, well, I think it's not even the model. It's again, I just think it's the hype. Like, yeah. I think it's not necessarily true that it's really better for them that we all watch it this weekend and then in two weeks, Everyone will have watched it, and everyone who hasn't watched it will know Zoe's dead. And if they complain about it, we'll all roll our eyes. I'm not sure that's better. I mean, Scandal is a really good counterpoint to a show that is getting ABC attention over this huge period of time. But just because it's different than everybody else, as a as a way to as a way for Netflix to separate itself from everyone else from HBO, who you know, their Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, was just really talking a bunch of trash to HBO really recently. This is a way for them to kind of set themselves apart. It's been enormously, enormously effective. And whether or not it's a better way to watch TV, whether or not the shows are better, whether or not um, we're just sort of... It's working as kind of just branding and brainwashing, I think. All of these people on House of Cards who are supposed to be great spin doctors, they are all as nothing compared to Netflix's PR team. (laughs) They are geniuses. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, close this by circling back to, to the show <laughs> itself and talking about what we expect. There is going to be a third season. I think that's already been announced. And Willow, you have already I really think that's one. what's going to happen. I mean, I mean, I just I would say that also the Robin Wright and Kevin Spacey dynamic at this point is they're the only characters the show really respects. So and, and their relationship has been the only kind of untroubled in a way thing for the last, you know, 12 episodes of the show. And I also think sort of hilariously, you know, they're the two poles of acting and they're the two poles of how you think about this show, right? Yeah. Robin Wright is actually very good. Yes. She looks great. She's sort of really like 
playing really tamped down. Um, you believe her. She's you know she's better at in this than she's kind of ever been in anything. It, and Kevin Spacey, meanwhile, is playing the hugest, biggest, broadest, most you know really campy. You know he know like that's the thing. When I watch him, I I think oh they know exactly what they're doing. I mean there's no way he's playing this season. And he has no idea that he's playing a comedic role, basically. And so the, the idea that the show would be about sort of them finally in power. I mean, because that's the thing. He's in power now, right? Like, mm-hmm. w- he's never going to give it up. Right? That's the, like, he's a dictator. He's a tyrant. That's who he is. So what, what happens once he's president? I mean, it's hard, I mean, given aside from the fact that he would never win a reelection, I don't think. Right. But presumably that's what the third season has to be built around is him you know, maneuvering for a re-election because unless they, you know, kill, they kill him off before then because he doesn't, as we said before, he doesn't have political values or principles. Mm-hmm. Once he's president, what is he positioning himself for? He's not trying to get legislation passed because that's always only been a means to an end. So the end would have to be getting re-elected, I guess. Maybe the whole show will just be about how life is really meaningless. <laughs> and you work and you work and then you get all the power in the world and then you sit in your Oval Office and you realize it's not enough and you're empty. And then Russ Cole from True Detective <laughs> yeah, exactly. explains. And opens up some beers. Right. What about you, June? Well, I am most interested, weirdly, in who they're going to kill off next or how are, like, to me, it, as weird as this sounds, I'm, I want to know who will be back. Will, will they really have anything to do? Because it seems like they've blown up so many potential avenues that they could have explored in a season three. I mean, Tusk, it seems like that particular avenue has gone. The Chinese guy who we had a little titillation with some crazy dangerous sex is gone. Uh, you know, the I guess Remy and Freddie's gone. His ribs, he's cooked his last rib. And so basically well, it's it's Remy and Jackie. And the Tea Party. I mean, there are these Republicans we don't know yet. Well, we don't know them, though. So, so you think maybe they'll introduce... Well, they'll probably... In- I mean, it depends. If they pick up where it seems like they should pick up, which is at his next election, they're going to have to introduce us a bunch of Republicans, I mean, who are going to fight him. Right. See, I guess I expect... So we don't know yet who his vice president will be, correct? Right. Presumably it's Jackie. That, like, yeah. that, that's what I'm expecting, yeah. is that she becomes his vice president, and Remy is maybe her chief of staff or somehow in the administration or doing something important. And I see them becoming his chief antagonist. I would say that, just to say another way that Jackie's not quite like Frank, you know, the the scene with her and Remy where she explains why she has the tattoo, because she basically feels so horrible that she's killed all these people that she wanted to have some pain to sort of knock out that other pain. I mean, Frank literally killed two people and i mean he sleeps like a baby did he <laughs> does he thought about it for one second i mean the thing about the thing about the kate mara thing that's also hilarious is zoe dies i mean she's literally not mentioned by anybody other than lucas for the entire rest of the show it's not right. like there's no call back later like do you you know i thought i went when him and claire had that conversation in bed do you miss adam i thought maybe she was going to be like do you miss zoe no, of course not she might as well not exist well to me like in a weird way that is what is most interesting about the show for me. I mean, this is, again, a kind of a, a mark of prestige drama these days is killing big characters. I mean, certainly we've seen it with Game of Thrones, although obviously they're kind of controlled by the uh, by the source material. But, you know, they, they're relentless. They, they just keep offing folks or just closing off avenues. And again, I don't know if it's, if it's a way of saying we're not like broadcast television, which would have to, you know, unless it's an anthology, it's another big thing. You know, <laughs> it, it, they'd have to keep some 
hope and some paths alive. And here it's almost like it doesn't matter. These are just more. I almost sometimes feel like this show is just a bunch of like character sketches with like a with a, an element of plot just thrown in now and again. But in terms of like keeping track of like what I'm expecting or what I'm looking like. Who will be still alive? Well, I mean, who really remembers most of the plots from this season? I mean, there was a thing with the metal I emailed you about. What's it called? Oh, right. Unobtainium. Samarian. <laughs> you know, and yeah. this bridge, to whatever, the bridge between the, the yeah, needed, the, the, the really important to China's foreign policy bridge from Connecticut to Long Island. I mean, there's, and then there yeah. are hundreds of others I literally do not recall. Yeah. It's, it, this show might as well the be budget called bill? House of MacGuffins. <laughs> yeah, I, I I tend to agree. And yet, when the third season rolls around, I'm sure I will uh, sit down and watch it again. No doubt. And June 6th, Orange is the New Black. Yeah, that I'm really looking forward that to. I'm, that's a great show. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for joining us for this spoiler special for Slate. I'm David Hagland. June, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. And Willa, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, too. We'll see you next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.